Okay, if you have Bibles with you, open up to Isaiah 43. For the month of May, Phil and I have been preaching on the topic of community. That's been our general topic. Um, my, uh, my son, I have one son, he's 26 years old, lives in, lives in L.A. He uh, came in for a visit on Thursday. We um, had a family wedding. The first of the, the cousins at, at his tier in the family was getting married, and he was excited to be there. And so knowing he was coming in, I'd be, and I'd be busy, I prepared um, a sermon. Um, I think I finished it up, like, on Wednesday. I figured this, I'm going to be responsible here. I'm going to be a good student of my time and get my work done ahead of time so I could enjoy as much time with my son as he possibly can. And I was, I was pretty satisfied with what it was. I, was. I was going to teach and share a message with you today about being in the powerful place or being in the powerless place. I think we've all experienced that from one time to another. We feel powerless or powerful, and how that relates to our living together um, and interacting together in community. And I don't know, maybe someday God will let me preach that message, but today's not that day. (laughs) (laughs) We were driving home uh, late Friday night, actually early Saturday morning. It's probably about 3 o'clock in the morning. We're getting home from wedding was up in Newburgh. And uh, my son's asleep in the back, my wife's asleep next to me, and I'm, I'm doing pretty good, I'm not really sleepy, I'm driving, and God's speaking to me. And he starts to let me know that this is going to be one of those Sundays where he edits, you know, he's, he's allowed to edit. <laughs> and um, so he's editing. So let's, uh, let's look at Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? So I thank you for your word, for the truth and the power that's in your word. I thank you, Lord, for the way your word reverberates throughout history, throughout time. I thank you, Lord, for the way that that sound wave is washing over us here at Mosaic right now. So, Lord, I pray that you would use me today to share your word with your heart in a way that encourages and blesses your people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love, love these verses. They just resonate with me. They fit me uh, very well. I remember years ago, probably about a decade ago, I woke up one Sunday morning. It was one of those Sundays where God was editing. Now that I think about it, I already had something pre-planned, you know? And I wake up early that Sunday morning, and this verse is on my mind, and and so I have lots of Bible study resources, and <clears throat> one of the resources I have is a book called The Word. And basically what they did, real thick book, they've taken 26 different translations of the scriptures and put them all in one book. So you look up Isaiah 43, and underneath it, they'll have anything listed, any translation listed that's significantly different than I think the, the base um, one they used was the King James Version. But anything that that varied from it, um, they would put that underneath it. It's a really great study tool called The Word. And so I woke up with this verse on my mind, and I, and I took that book off the shelf, and I opened up to it, and underneath it, uh, one of the alternate translations they had was something called the Emphasized Bible by, um, by Rotherham. Very, um, very unique translation of Scripture, um, and very few people have copies of it. It's not easy to get hold of. 
But what, what Rotherham did is he took the scripture and he looked at the original language and he said it in a way that put the appropriate emphasis on the most significant part of the verse. So when we, when we read Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, when I say we, I mean Christians, and what we've done in churches throughout most of our lives is when we hear God's doing a new thing, <clears throat> we give our full undivided attention to the new thing. We want to become experts at the new thing. We invest all we have and all we got to the new thing. We're excited about God doing a new thing, right? That's not where the emphasis is on this verse. If you read it in the Rotherham translation, I think he gets this right. The way he interprets Isaiah 43, 18, is he says this. Behold me! Exclamation point. End of sentence. Behold me! Exclamation point. Doing a new thing. So really, when God shows up in our midst and he says he's doing a new thing, our full undivided attention is not to be on a new thing. Our full undivided attention is to be on him. We give him our undivided focus. Behold me! Exclamation point. He's serious about this. Behold me. He's doing a new thing. If there's a new thing to be done, he'll do it. He's the one who does it. And I believe, I really do, that to the degree that we stay with our eyes focused on him, when he's the object of our affection and our attention, that the new thing will just keep on rolling along. It'll, there'll be life on it. It'll be empowered, it'll be energized, and he's really good at what he does. <laughs> he's good at doing things. Old things, new things, anything. He can do it. Our job is to be focused on him. We behold him, he does the new thing. I think when we stop beholding him and focus on the new thing, less and less of the new thing starts to happen. So I think we're in one of those seasons where his, his cry to us is to behold him. <clears throat> And so this morning, what I want to share with you is um, some recent visions that I've had and make application to community uh, here at Mosaic. Now, I've said this before, and it's really worth repeating. God shows me visions not because I'm good. He shows me visions because he's good. If it was based on my goodness, I would be blind. I would be permanently, utterly blind forever. He doesn't show me visions because I'm good. I'll confess to you right now, I'm not good. The only goodness in me is whatever he's deposited there. He doesn't show me visions because I'm special. He shows me visions because he's extraordinary and he's generous. And he delights to do this. <clears throat> and so, since, since 2008, I've had these seasons in my life where God shows me visions over days and days. Back in 2008, in a very subtle way, almost like a passing remark, God told me, he says, I'll give you 40 visions in 40 days. And beginning on February 11, 2008, he did it. It rocked my world. <coughs> February 11, it's a real, it's significant date for Nadine and I. It's a day that we started dating. So it's a very personal date. We started dating 34 years ago on February 11th. And it sounds just like 
the God I know, who loves the way he loves it, he, of all the days he could pick, he picked that day in my life. The second month, the 11th day. Because the, the day 11-11 is profoundly, the numbers 11-11 are profoundly significant to me. He's really big. I love how he sews all the pictures together. So beginning on that February 11th, he showed me visions for 40 days. And just as an expression of his extreme generosity, every year since, on February 11th, I begin another series of 40 days worth of visions. <clears throat> I can't make them happen. I don't make them happen. I have no power to turn the visions on. But I could show up. <laughs> I could make myself available. It's almost like going to the movies. We went and seen Avengers yesterday. Anybody else seen Avengers? Oh, boom, 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 boom. Wasn't that a great scene? For those of you who haven't seen it, I loved it. <laughs> oh, laughed out loud. We showed up for the time the movie started. That's kind of what I do on February 11th. And for those 40 days, I show up. Because I've gotten used to the fact that he's going to show me something. I want to see what he's going to show me. And sometimes these visions have varying levels of intensity. Sometimes they're, they're kind of mild. I could see it, and it's almost like I'm looking through a picture. I could see everything else that's in the room. I could see all of you guys, or I could be very much aware of what's going on. I could hear sound in the background, or you know, be very co cognizant of, of both realities at the same time. Other times the visions are so sharp. They are so intense that I feel like I've actually entered into them, and this, what, what we recognize as reality, just fades away. And I'm just kind of caught up in it. I love when he does that. It's scary wonderful. <laughs> and over hundreds of visions and, and many years, I've learned an important lesson for me. Because in our Western worldview, Americanized culture, we don't really value the supernatural like other cultures do. Matter of fact, we've really been trained to excuse it away or explain it away in our heads. And so it's taken me practice to <laughs> be honest with myself and say, yes, I really seen what I really seen and not talk myself out of it. And I've, I've learned the value of this for this reason because often when he shows me something, the very beginning of it makes no sense to me whatsoever. But if I, if I agree with him, yes, God, you really did show me that. If I trust him, like Jesus says in Isaiah 11, 11 to 13, right? That our dad will give us good stuff if we ask him for good stuff. If we ask him for good stuff, he's not going to give us bad stuff, right? Even regular fathers know how to do that, though we're evil. So... I, I agree that, yes, he's shown me this. And as I do that, he shows me more. And when it doesn't make sense in the beginning, by the end, it's like, oh, now I understand. So I've learned to be brutally honest with myself. And so I, have, I say that to say this. I have confidence in what I've seen. That doesn't mean you, you have confidence in it or even that you should. You know, it's good to test things. But I have confidence in it. And even though I have confidence in it, just to be really honest with you guys, I have a hard time sharing these things. I get lots of visions and stuff, but it's really hard for me to share it with other people. And it's for a variety of reasons. I feel really vulnerable <laughs> when I do. And in general, in our culture, you know, some people would examine me and think, you know, we should put this guy away for a while. <laughs> <laughs> 
know, he's seeing things and he's talking to other beings that we can't see. And, you know, they have diagnoses for that. <laughs> My daughter's about ready to get a degree in it, you know. <laughs> well, she trusts her dad. So it's hard for me to share them. And, and um, a lot of times it's really, it's really just pride on my part. I know I've had seasons where I've shared too much because of pride. Ooh, look how awesome I am. God gives me visits. You know? I know other times I've, I haven't shared them because of pride too, because I'm concerned. I'm fearful of the ridicule that I'll get for it. So, um, so I want, but I want to risk today. I want to share with you something that, that's very recent. It was from this past 40 days. This, this last February 11th, a season that I went through. And, and I think that this has some application for us uh, concerning community here at Mosaic. And so I just want to share uh, what happened over a three-day period, March 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2011. And then afterwards, um, give some application, and I'll answer any questions if you, if you want. that sound okay? Yeah? All right. Whew. Help me, Lord. So on March 10th, I, I put aside some time, and I'm almost a month into this at, at this point. I've, I've been seeing a lot. <clears throat> and so um, in the spirit, the first thing I see is a small piece of stained glass. It's kind of diamond-shaped, stained glass. And, um, and it's like a diamond inside a circle. And there's colors on, on the circle part out, outside the diamond shape. Does that make sense? And it's like blue and red and, and uh, yellow and green. And, but it wasn't like the colors were stationary. They were kind of fluid and moving. <clears throat> and, and so I'm just kind of watching it. I have no idea where we're going from here, but I, I am, I'm recognizing you know, what it is. And so I kind of, in a vision, I almost like I stepped back a little bit and, and I could see the rest of what it really is, a stained glass window. And it's beautiful, just beautiful stained glass. And it's one of these tall uh, stained glass windows, kind of narrow and kind of curved at the top. You guys have probably been to churches and, and seen stained glass, you know, like that. And, um, and I'm standing at, I realize now at this point, sometimes I see visions and then it's almost like the camera pans back and I get to see the rest of what's going on around me. That's kind of how it works for me. And so it's like, it, it's like I step back or the camera pans back and, and as if we were in a, a, a church sanctuary and I'm kind of standing over in you know, the right-hand corner if you're looking at the, the front of the sanctuary and I'm facing that wall and, and I look over to my right and I can see there's a whole bank of stained glass windows every few feet. They look very much the same size and shape of the one that I'm, I'm looking at and I kind of look around the rest of the room and on the opposite wall, the same thing. There's a whole bank of stained glass uh, windows. Um, and, and really, except for the light that's coming through the windows, it's pretty dark in, in this room. Um, the walls and the floors were hard. They were made of some kind of stone material. It was very much some, an old uh, look at church. It was clean and all. Um, it, it looked like it was very well kept, actually. But, um, it, but it was built a long time ago. And so while I'm there, um, I, I begin to hear something. I hear like a click-clacking sound. It sounds like um, high heels on a stone floor. You ladies know what that sounds like, right? You know, and I look up, and I can see a, a little woman came in from the back of the church. And um, she has uh, a hat on and 
a lot of blonde hair, and she's wearing like a, a white dress. Um, actually, the, the, it was a white dress with the red polka dots on it. And she comes down the center aisle about halfway and takes a seat, you know, just, just one seat off the, the center. And um, she had sunglasses on, too. And so she's just sitting there, and I'm still just observing. I'm just watching what's going on. And then not long you know, after she's seated, another young man comes in. And he's wearing jeans and, like, a T-shirt. And um, he, he kind of takes his glasses, his sunglasses, and kind of, you know, puts them on top of his head like this. And he very much James Dean-esque kind of looked to him. You guys know who James Dean is? You young people ever hear James Dean? <laughs> Look him up on YouTube or... Wikipedia. And he sits down. So after these two people sit down, right, right from the back door, the, these, uh, this little boy comes running in. He just bursts through the door. It's got to be maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And he's running up the center aisle. He's got red hair and freckles. And, and as he's running, he's kind of looking back over his shoulder. And here comes his little sister, a little bit older than him, a year or so older than him. And she's running right after him. And she's got a cute little dress on, a little Blonde pigtails are flown in the wind, and he's kind of mocking her. I don't know. He did something before they got in there, okay? And the sister is chasing her little brother. And then he's looking back at her. He runs right into me. Boom. <laughs> it just kind of like bounces off my leg, and they both stop, and they kind of look up at me like this. They look at each other, they laugh, and they go running off. And not far behind them is mom. And mom is dressed... Um, Mom is dressed like it's 1950s. She's got, you know, a very uh, proper, you know, whitish, tannish kind of dress on, a black belt and a string of pearls and very sensible shoes. She's, she's kind of walking and trying to be proper, running after the kids and kind of smiles at me awkwardly and runs after them. And then here comes the father, not far behind, a gray suit, very nicely tailored. He's taking his hat off as he enters the sanctuary. And he kind of looks at me and kind of goes, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> And, um, and so they all, find, they all find their seats. And um, so as, long as, as soon as they're seated, the people begin to flood into the sanctuary from the rear doors, and there's two side doors, um, side entrances. And before long, the sanctuary is filled with people. Everyone's seated, and they're waiting for the service to begin. And, um, and they're kind of looking at me. <laughs> and... Uh, and so I looked down at myself, really, for the first time in this vision, and I realized that I'm wearing a, a floor-length, button-down, black priest's cassock. People know what a cassock is? You ever see the pictures of Yeah. I know Jenny knows what that is. But it's kind of like buttons all the way down, and it's black. And I got a priest's collar on, a little white, white collar, and um, a clerical collar. There must be three or 400 people gathered, you know, ladies in hats, men in suits, the room's dotted with children fussing about, and mothers are struggling to keep them settled down. It kind of has a feel of like an Easter Sunday type setting from my childhood. And all eyes were on me. Obviously, they were waiting for me to begin the service. And um, I didn't know exactly where I was uh, or even, you know, when I was, but I instinctively, you know, walked to the pulpit. I'm thinking to myself, I've done this before. <laughs> I could do this. And so as I step into the pulpit, there's this collective loud gasp in the room, like, <gasps> and um, the mothers are bending over, covering the eyes of their children, and the men are grabbing their hats, and they're covering the face of their wives. 
And, um, and all over the room, there's angry husbands and fathers standing up indignant, indignantly, shaking their head at me, and they're storming out of the church. Families in tow. So I'm confused, and I'm looking around like, you know, what happened? You know, what's going on? You know, what's the source of the problem here? <laughs> Why is everybody leaving? And then I look down, I look back at myself, and I look down, and I realize mm, I'm the problem here. Yep, I'm standing naked in front of the whole church. I'm, <laughs> I'm naked in the pulpit with only my little white clerical collar. <laughs> Feeling very tight around my neck at this point. First shocked and kind of humiliated, and I, I looked for something, for anything, to cover myself, and there, there was nothing. And then in that moment, in this extraordinarily awkward moment, I just feel this surge of resolute boldness just strike me. It just rises up within me, this passion, this incredible sense of zeal. What John Wimber used to call unction just kind of explodes from me, and you know, from deep within, and really with fire in my eyes, and I grabbed the pulpit on both sides, I began preaching the word of God with boldness and with authority. And as I do it, I can feel the ground begin to shake beneath us. So I just preach even more, with greater authority, with greater zeal and passion. And the, and the ground begins to, sh to, to tremble even even more intensely, until the, the walls begin to crumble, and the ceiling begins to crumble all around us. And when the shaking stops and the dust settles, I can see that <laughs> all of the respectable families had left the building. But that lady in the red polka dot church, the uh, dress that came in first to the church, kind of looking Marilyn Monroe-ish. She's still sitting there, and so is a James Dean-looking guy. I can see other people in church now. There's a very gypsy-looking older woman, a couple of drug addicts, a couple of, a couple of young gals that easily could have been prostitutes by their look, a few hippie artist types, some college-age students. And they're not even remotely offended. <laughs> if anything, they seem intrigued, and fully engaged. The pews are still in place in the church, but the ceiling's completely gone, and the walls are completely gone, except for like the four corners. There's some remnants of posts at each one of the four corners. And as I'm looking around, Jesus appears to me, right next to me. And he says to me, welcome home. And, uh, and the vision ended that day. I was like, well, that's pretty interesting. Had much to ponder as the day went on. That was March 10th, 2012. And then the next morning, it seems like when I, I pressed back in, um, the vision kind of picked up right where I left off the day before. And I'm still standing in the pulpit. And from behind me and to my right, almost like in this corner of the room, I could feel this gush of wind come to start to blow. It was interesting that Phil prayed this morning, let the wind blow. Three times I could feel this gust of wind just blow, diagonally across the remaining remnants of this church building, from one corner to the other. Three times. One right after the other. 
And so really the only thing I could see was the building's foundation. It kind of looked like a concrete slab. It was clean and surprisingly without a crack. It was a solid foundation. A little while later, Jesus appears. And he's leaning over blueprints, and it's attached to a makeshift uh, workbench. It's like a piece of plywood on two sawhorses. And um, he looks every, every bit the uh, modern-day carpenter. He, he's got work boots on, and he's got jeans and a blue and red kind of flannel shirt. The sleeves are rolled up. He's got a tool belt around his waist. And the I just happened to notice that this workbench is set up right where that lady was sitting, the one with the red polka dot dress. And Jesus looks up from the blueprints, and he motions for me to come over. And so stepping down from the pulpit, it, it seemed to remain. It survived. I walk over to him. Well, I'm still naked. <laughs> I walk over to him. And as soon as I reach him, he removes his tool belt, and he puts it around my waist, and he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hmm. And as soon as he puts the tool belt in place, everything else that he's wearing now appears on me. Boots and jeans and same kind of colored flannel shirt and same white t-shirt. And as I look at him, he says to me, he continues, he says, my ways are not your ways. He says, I build differently than you build. He says, here, let me show you a more excellent way. And looking down at the blueprints, instead of seeing a building diagram, I could see the text from 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to read that to you. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, nothing. If I could give all my possessions to the poor and give my body over to hardship, then I may boast, I do not have love. I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record. Of wrongs. Wow, love keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps it keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> if love keeps no record of wrongs, then what place does guilt have in my life? None. If love keeps no record of wrongs, then what place does shame have in my life? It has no place. If love keeps no record of wrongs, this is the scripture, right? This is in the Bible. This is in your translation too, right? The same Bible that says God is love, right? this says love keeps no record of wrongs. Hmm. Interesting. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. 
When I was a child, I walked, excuse me, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. That's what was on the blueprint. This is what Jesus was pointing to when he told me, he says, my ways are not your ways. I build differently than you build here. Let me show you a more excellent way. And as I read through the text on the blueprint, I could see a new building appear around us. Piece by piece, board by board. Just as I was reading through those words, it was like it was just appearing. Board by board, window by window. Two changes captured my attention. The first is this new building's round. It's not rectangular. And the second was the windows were clear and they were clean and they were transparent. They more closely resembled windows you'd see in a house than stained glass windows you'd see in a, in a classical-looking church setting. Everything was uncluttered and open and simple, minimalistic in its feel. feel. And the next thing I noticed was that the, the pedestal the pulpit sat on was also gone. And that was the end of the second day's vision. It gave me a lot more to think about. And the next day, again, the vision, when I pressed in and spent time with the Lord, it picked up right where it had left off. Kind of like I had paused the DVD or the recording on my DVR, came back the next day and hit the play button and picked up the rest of the story. So I realized that not only is the pedestal gone, but the pulpit, but so is the pulpit itself. Everything was white. The walls, the floor, the ceiling. There were chairs set up in in a circular setting, and they were white too. There was a lot of light coming in through the windows. And even on the other side of the window, I could see see, plants and stuff out there. There's a lot of green leaves from some low-hanging trees. And in this circular room, room, the chairs were set up in a circle, and there was a it was a cross pattern with aisles. So it was almost like the room was set up in like four, four uh, pie pieces. You know? And so Jesus is there and he leads me over to, um, to sit down in, in the front row of one of, the, one of those corded out sections. And as we walk over, my clothing changes again. Jesus is too. He's now in this bright, white-looking tunic, kind of, you know, most of the Jesus pictures you get to see, right? He's wearing like a white tunic. And I'm in some loose-fitting tan pants and oversized tan-looking shirt. It reminded me of either hospital scrubs or pajamas. I don't know which it was. So Jesus sits on the aisle at the end of the row, and in his invitation, I take a seat next to him on his left, and with his left arm over my shoulder and a smile on his face, he says, he says, you've labored all night long. He says, rest, watch, 
and learn. So Jesus gets up from his seat and he walks to the center of the circle. And I'm watching. And turning so that I can see him, he raises his arms and he begins to worship, singing the most amazing love song to Papa um, I've ever heard. And my heart just melts watching him express this incredible level of affection for his father, for our father. With his face lifted toward heaven, tears running down his face, I cried too. The worship was sweet and it was pure. It was just amazing. I could have just stayed right there in that moment forever. And after a little while, the song changes. Where Jesus begins to express and proclaim his passionate love for the bride. For us, the church. And I swear, in that moment, I could hear a three-part harmony of Father, Son, and Spirit singing this incredible love song to us. It's like the Trinity's love song for the church. And as music filled the atmosphere, colors filled the air. Streaks of light and bursts of color. It was, it was beautiful. It was just amazing. I, I wish I had words to describe what it, what it looked like in that moment. And then all across the room, I could see, you know, up until this point, I, I'm the only one sitting there. And I'm, I'm transfixed just watching this expression of love shared between the members of the Trinity and then their love for us. But at this point, people begin to appear in the room. First one and then another, just kind of like popping up all over. It's like they, they weren't there and then they just begin appearing in the seat. And they're young and old, it's black and white and Asian and Hispanic. You know, all kinds of people. And they're all with their arms raised in worship. And this goes on and on until every seat's filled. At this point in the vision, my perspective changes, and I'm, I'm kind of hovering above and looking down upon this amazing expression of worship and, and mutual love, the bridegroom to the bride and the bride to the bridegroom. And Jesus is next to me, and this is what he says, and this is how the third day's vision ends. He says, Tom, pay attention. Now, when God tells you to pay attention, you know what that usually means? It means you probably weren't paying attention. <laughs> And it'd be a good thing to start paying attention. He said, Tom, pay, pay attention. He said, the what is the same. The what is the same. The how is different. He said, Tom, pay attention. The what is the same. The how is different. And then the third vision ended. So what does all that mean? Probably means vastly more than I understand yet. I think it means, I think it's extraordinarily significant. I think application could be made probably to the church, uh, you know, wide, almost any type of church setting. I think there's lots of personal application for me. I, probably most of it has to do with what he's doing inside of me. But I think there's application for us. And he could have given me that vision anytime he wanted to. But he gave it to me about a month after our church is merged. Why would he do it that way? Why was it that setting? Well, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing that there's application here too. And so what is some of that application? I think God's doing a new thing in old places. 
He's doing a new thing in old places. And I think a significant part that's going to be necessary is that there'll be transparency from the pulpit. You know, that's what I think the, the nakedness meant. And it's part of what motivated me to risk to share this today. Right, so what's today's date? May 20th? Say the 20th? So I had this back on March 10th. And I think except for Ginny. <laughs> you know, one night at the spoon. I don't think I shared this with anyone else. But I felt like I needed to be transparent today. So what else is the application? God's doing a new thing in old places. I think transparency from the pulpit will lead to a fresh wind of the Spirit blowing through the church. I think whatever the new thing is God's doing is that he'll build it. He'll build his church. I think it'll be established in love. I think it'll be established by love. I think it'll be established on love. I think that's how it's built. Board by board. I think each verse of 1 Corinthians 13 is an expression of what he's going to build. Could there be any more important text concerning community than that? Just that one verse. Love keeps no account of wrong. If we could get that one right, how, how much greater would the level of interactive community increase in our midst? Oh, my goodness. Just that one. A whole bunch of verses there. <laughs> but just that one? So I think it'll be established in love and by love and on love. I think it's all about love. I think the fact that it was circular also speaks that it'll be relational. It'll be communal. And Christ will be at the very center of it. He's, we're to fix our eyes on him. He's our model. He's our example. And the way he expressed love to his father is a model for us on how we express love to him. And how that love is mutually shared among the Trinity an expression of his extravagant love for his people. He is a bridegroom who is passionately in love with his bride. And as he pours out that passionate love on us, it flows from us back to him. We can't help it. I think whatever this new thing is that he's doing, I think we just need to behold him. I think to the degree that we behold him, we fix our eyes on him, he'll build it, and it'll be better than we could ever possibly imagine. I think it'll be an expression of the love that's shared between the bridegroom and the bride. I think that's going to be significant. I think it's going to be a profound element of the new thing God's doing. So he told me the what is the same, the how is different. I think as American Christians who've been involved in church, many of us for a good portion of our lives, I think some of the what doesn't change. The what's the same. We love God. We love people. We share life together. We do the stuff. I just think there's going to be new ways of doing it. I think how we did it in the past is probably not how we're going to do it now or in the future. So things, it'll change. I don't know how it's going to change. I, I don't have the specifics. I'm no expert on that. But I think if we keep an open heart and an open mind to experiment with new things, it'll help us. Years ago, many years ago, God spoke to me. He told me, he said, hold on loosely to people 
to possessions and to positions so that your hands could be free to catch what's coming on the wind. He told me to hold loosely the people to possessions and to positions so that my hands would be free to catch what's coming on the wind. I think something's coming on the wind, guys. And if our hands are open, we'll be able to take hold of and grasp the new thing. But if our, the vision, I, you know, the picture in my mind's eye is like, you know, having bundles and bundles of like packages, you know. I might have to let those things go. It might be hard to do that. But I think it'll be so worth it. So it's coming on the wind. And, I, and just as, as a pastor, as a leader, I think we have to go that way, guys. Let me share with you some sobering statistics concerning the American church. Between the year 2000 and 2005, according to George Barner's research in his book Revolution, 2000 2005, 20 million people of all denominations left North American churches. 20 million people over a five-year period. I wish I could tell you it's getting better. PastoralCareInc.com website reports that as of 2008, 3,500 people leave the church every day. 3,500 leave the church every day. <laughs> That's a million people a month. A million people a month. If we were a business, somebody would be fired. <laughs> you know, somebody would lose their job over that. You know, approximately 4,000 new churches open their doors every year. But about 7,000 close their doors every year. Those are sobering statistics. What that tells me is that something's wrong. You know, something's broken with our Americanized version of church. You know, now, you know, pastors, we, we can lie to ourselves and just say, those people are backsliders, you know? Well, maybe some of them are, but not. When you're at a million a month leaving, <laughs> there's something more going on than, than what's going on in them. How do we not look at how we do what we do and at least re-examine it, right? I think something's very wrong with how we do this thing we call church. Now, there's no swipe at us here. I'm talking church capital C, church in our country. We're losing those kind of numbers. Something's not right. I think we need to start asking new questions. I think this is a really good question. God, what are you doing? <laughs> I think that's a really good question. God, what are you doing? I think we can ask that personally. We can ask that collectively as a community. We can ask them, God, what are you doing? Then how, here's the second question. How can we do that with you? I like that approach as opposed to saying, you know, we've come up with our best idea, and God, would you bless what we're doing? It's messier the first way. It is. Say, God, what are you doing? And how can I do that with you? And then go do that the best we can. God, what are you doing? How can we do it with you? And then go and try and do that as best we can. So, I think God's doing something new. Anybody have any questions about that? 
I'd be happy to answer any question you might have about either the visions or my take on it or the topic in general. Anybody? Okay, well, that's pretty good. I, I really thought there would be questions. <laughs> I'm kind of comforted by that. Then let's pray. Lord, I thank you. You're, you're good. Lord, we, I just want to agree with you today that your ways are not my ways. They're so much higher. They're so much better. Lord, there's something profoundly significant about building in love and on love, for love, by love. Make that a reality for us. I'm not really sure how that happens, but you could do that. Just write that into us. And Lord, would you come and would you build your church? <laughs> you build your church so that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Come and do it, Lord. And Lord, as a group, we, we, just, um, we just say today, we're, we empty our hands so that we can catch whatever's coming on the wind of your spirit. And Lord, it's probably going to be hard for us to do that. I've dropped stuff and picked it back up so many times. But Lord, today I just tell you, I, I drop it again. And I, and I open my heart and I open my hands to you. Let the wind blow. It's like Phil prayed this morning, Lord, let the wind blow. Let the wind blow. Do it, Lord. Let your wind blow. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would experience in our midst the amazing love that's shared in, between you and the Trinity. Father, the way you love the Son, the Spirit, the way they love you right back. Lord, I pray that we get caught up right into that circle of love. And Jesus, I pray that you would love us with a fiery passion of a bridegroom for his bride and, and that we would love you in the same way in return. Do it, Lord. I pray that you would give us just a greater revelation and understanding of, of that type of relational dynamic with you. More simply, Lord, I pray for us here at Mosaic that we would love one another. That we would love one another the way you've loved us. That that would be real and practical and tangible. Make it so, Lord. Feel his presence right now. Lord, I thank you for your sweet presence in the room. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So it feels like there's some uh, some tune-ups going on in the room or some recalibrations. Like, like motherboards are being reprogrammed. It's <laughs> kind of what it looks like. And so, Lord, do that. Do that in us. Change whatever needs to be changed in us. And, Lord, the food that we have today for our friend day, I ask that you bless that food. We enjoy great fellowship together. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.